Tim, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. This is Wayne. This is Tim. This is Andy. Hello, guys. Good morning. Now, you guys might have noticed that Paul's not with us today. There's a distinct lack of suck going on today. Well, and I would I would just like to apologize for not being here last week, Aaron. I've I've turned in my my tardy slip and uh, uh, my excuse for my nurse. Well, I wasn't here last week. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember that either. <laughs> nice, you guys are sweethearts. I was they I was institutionalized after my team lost in the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament. That's college basketball, Wayne. I know you're a super fan, but just just so you know, um. Yeah, so I, I spent several days in an institute being counseled through my grief. Yeah, in pass fairness, me the, pass me the, you got to pass me the hug me jacket, Andrew, by the way. <laughs> yeah. In fairness, before doing wanted. that, though, Andrew, you didn't ask us to read books with you. That's true. Paul Paul is kind of that guy who will ask you to do something and then be like, oops, not going to be there. Well, you know, Paul is the guy who will say, hey, can you come over and help me move my couch? And then he's and not there. Go up at his house and he's not there, but there's a note saying, let yourself in and bring the couch. <laughs> <laughs> That's Paul. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Paul uh, lets me know this week. He says, hey, I'm not going to be able to be on the show on Saturday. I'm like, oh, man, I uh, hope everything's OK. And he goes, yeah. I got a family thing going on. And I'm like, oh, you know, family okay? Yeah, family's great. You know, we've got this uh, baby shower that I've got to go to. A baby shower? A baby what? shower. And I said, I said, Paul, um, you know, baby showers are generally for the women's. And he said, yeah, it's a couple's baby shower. Ooh. And I said, I said uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Paul, I can smell your vagina. And... <laughs> and, and and here's where it got awesome. <laughs> Paul says, yeah, they've asked me to dress up as the Easter Bunny. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trolling me, Aaron. You're trolling me. Was I, it because he already had the costume? <laughs> I said, I said, uh, Paul, I, I plan on making fun of you about this on the show Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized my error the moment I said it. <laughs> so I just want you to all to join me with... Here comes Polly Cottontail, up and down the bunny trail, hippity hopping Polly's on his way. I doubt that that will be the show art. Oh, no. It, it should be. I already have directed him to take a picture of himself and make the show art. Show title is already determined. Here comes Polly Cottontail. <laughs> he, did, so, he did send me a picture of it last night. Oh my god, is he seriously <laughs> already? Was he trying the costume on to make sure it fit or is it just Well, it's a Friday. He's always wearing it on Fridays. It's Friday night. <laughs> so, so I I'm confused. What is wearing a rabbit costume have to do with a uh, baby shower? All I think about it is that, you know, the Easter bunny is a you know, Easter is a spring fertility ritual. Um, I think that, you know, the, you know, the bunny is representative of the fertility ritual and here it is, the baby shower, fertility. That's all I can think of. Well, do you well, think what he did want to tell anyone is that the baby shower is actually a key party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a furry do, party. Do you think it's possible, perhaps, that his significant other knew he had this and then told her friends who were at this going to be the shower, like, you will not believe what I can get Paul to do. Uh, and he's actually he's actually gonna be the only guy who's there. It's not a couple shower. It's a woman shower, and Paul dressed up as a bunny. <laughs> That's a, certainly a possibility. I, I if let's say if I were a woman, this would be uh, probably my motivation. If 
<laughs> yeah, if Tim. So I, you know, this was awesome news for me this week. <laughs> you know, Polly dressing up as the Easter Bunny. Uh, but also, what was awesome this week is in the mail came my death and return of Superman Omnibus, my gigantic something like fifteen hundred page uh, hardback of uh, the death and return of Superman. The doorbell rang yesterday, and so I go to the door, open it up, and the postman grunts as he hands the box to me. Oh, that is awesome! <laughs> I saw what your kind of cool things were in there. All kinds of, of extra like covers and sketches and all that kind of fun stuff. I haven't spent a whole lot of time with it, but uh, it is a gorgeous book. It is a gorgeous book, and I'm just as excited as I can be. My uh, City of Owls Volume Two came in uh, as well, and you know, it, by comparison, much smaller book. <laughs> so I think that the uh, your mailman's doctor is probably excited too because he's going to get all the money for the hernia treatment exactly i mean he handed it to me goes man that's heavy and i'm like it's one book <laughs> yeah, yeah I, was ha- I was happy to see that paulie got his and his didn't disappear mysteriously because he's been having that issue lately yeah yeah poor guy poor paul well poor in paul. fairness i couldn't drive all the way there and steal it because i was at wizard world so so how was wizard world wayne you know, I really enjoyed it. It was uh, the biggest convention St. Louis has had as far as comic books go. And there were some things that they could have done better. But overall, it was a great first year. And they did so well. They've already announced that they're you know, they're going to be back next year. And uh, what I'm really excited about is Mike Mignola is going to be there next year. Ooh, that's a good get. It is. I mean, I'm, we don't know yet who else is going to be there other than some of the Walking Dead crew. But, yeah, Mike Mignola being there, I'm excited about. That's great. So uh, did you see Lou Ferrigno while you were there? I did. I got a couple pictures of him. They, uh, they had the whole thing going on where you're not allowed to take pictures back in the celebrity area. Right. So people were trying to you know, take pictures of their friends with the celebrity behind them. But I, I basically took a bunch of pictures while the, uh, the staff was yelling at someone else for taking pictures. <laughs> so distracted. I did that at the Clinton uh, uh, presidential library. They have this mock-up. <laughs> They have this mock-up of, of the Oval Office. And so there's like – and there's several entryways that you can look in through. They're roped off. You can't actually step into them. So I was at one taking pictures, and, and a security guard came up to a guy on the opposite side at the other opening who was doing the same thing I was doing. started yelling at him, and I was like, yep, time to move on. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I think one of my James Barster's pictures even has the sign in it that says no pictures in this area. I think you're right. If we could all get in the mock Oval Office for a funny books picture, that would be the greatest thing. <laughs> do, do you guys get those uh, Amazon local deals? Do you get the, the, the emails that come to you from Amazon local? Yeah. Okay. So yesterday I, I was looking at one and it was Glamour Shots. You know, where you could pay, you know, $29 and, you know, get a family sit- sitting with uh, Glamour Shots. And I'm like, you know, if I could find a St. Louis version of this, the funny books <laughs> guys could go get their Glamour Shot. <laughs> <laughs> I would I do that. I, I was just like, I was just kind of picturing us all in the, the sparkly tuxedo shirt, you know. <laughs> that so nice. either Oval Office Tim or Glamour Shots. I like Oval Office a little better. Yeah, the costume contest was really cool, too. There were 200 contestants. I've never seen that many in a costume contest before. And uh, they had someone that was dressed up as Kato that when he came down the aisle, he would do full roles. And uh, 
you know, he was doing all this acrobatic stuff. So he gets up on stage and one of the guests judges is Jason David Frank, the original Green Power Ranger. Right. So the Kato goes over to him and does like the karate bow. And then uh, Jason David Frank gets up and the two of them go into this uh, jump kickoff where they're trying to outdo each other with martial arts moves up on the stage. And that was just a really cool thing to see up on uh, stage because, you know, a lot of the uh, the early Power Rangers, most of them were just actors. But Jason David Frank is a guy that actually does MMA. He's got his own uh, he's got his own dojo where he teaches. So he really knows martial arts and seeing him perform up on stage opposite this Kato guy, which is kind of a cool experience. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. Well, you know, uh, something else that's awesome is uh, the Nova series from Marvel Comics. And, you know, something that we all rather enjoyed, I think, was the you know, Ed McGinnis artwork and the Jeff Loeb story. And we find out this week that uh, Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis are leaving the title. Yeah. Tapped out. One whole issue in, and uh, they're already announcing they're going to be going off it. Yeah. Do they think they work for DC or something? <laughs> well, they're not leaving pissed off. They're just going to finish their arc and hand it off to Zeb Wells and Paco Medina. And I got to say, I'm kind of excited about Paco Medina because uh, I really dig his artwork. Is his mill name Co? Yes. Yes. <laughs> now I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Funky Cole Medina is going to be right in the uh, Paco. Gonna be dr- <laughs> Paco Cole Medina. Yeah, that's his nickname. It's funky. Yeah. Funky. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so where are they going? Where, where's Jeff Loeb headed to if he's moving off well, Nova? Well, keep in mind that Jeff Loeb is over Marvel TV, so I imagine that his time is fairly limited. Um, and so it surprised me that he was going to do a monthly, but now not so much. Now that he's uh, just going to do those first five issues. So when you say Marvel TV, you mean the Shield series? The Shield series, all the animated, all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah, animated, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Did, did, uh, Wayne, did you listen to Fat Man on Batman this week with Jeff Loeb? I haven't. I've got a backlog of audiobooks I've been listening to, so I'm kind of behind on my podcasts. I have to say, you know, I listened to that, and I've heard Jeff Loeb interviewed a number of times over on Word Balloon, but he always sounds very rushed. And he just sounded very, you know, in the moment with Kevin Smith. And I don't know if that's because it was a face-to-face interview or if he had the contact high. (laughs) That's what I was about to say. If it's face-to-face, it's got to be a contact high. Because, I mean, he just sounded like, hey, I'm here. Let's talk. Whereas when I hear him on Word Balloon, it sounds like I got to get off the phone. Yeah, I got to say, other than us, Kevin Smith is probably the best comic book interviewer I've heard. He really gets these guys to open up and just talk and I think a big part of it might be the contact high. It may be. It may be. I mean, you know, you can't be surrounded by by so much of that, uh, so much of the pot, <laughs> without uh, without you know mellowing a little bit. Because he doesn't do any. Uh, he doesn't do telephone interviews. He does them all face to face. Even when he was uh, offsite in Jersey, they rented a studio for him to interview. I think it was Scott Snyder. You know. So he did he, he, studio. Yeah, I was going to say he didn't just have Scott Snyder to his hotel room where he had his mic set up. No, they, they actually talked about it in the show that they were, you know, at, at some studio or some, some studio space that they had rented, which wow, is that's, interesting. That's a level above me. Yeah, well, I just kind of figured they, you know, if they were going to be in Jersey, they'd do something in the back room at, you know, their comic shop or something. You know, and that interview really was missing something. There was no yelling at Shecky in the middle of it. That's right. Shecky! <laughs> talking about Batman! That's exactly how that goes. So, uh, you know, for a guy who's never listened to an episode, I, I, you know, that is exactly how it goes. Yeah. So, so what are we like five weeks out from Fear the Con Six? 
Oh, I'm so excited. I need to finish up my games. <laughs> Me too, but still so excited. I'm in a pretty good space on mine. I've, I've still got some stuff to do, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with where I am. Six weeks, Aaron. Flat, Six weeks. Yeah, I flash back to last year when slot five, Aaron was having us roll up characters for slot six. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was, what are you guys doing for lunch? <laughs> I know what you're doing now. <laughs> I think three games was a little uh, ambitious on my part last year. Yeah. So I'm running two games in the same setting this year. This may be a best practice. So. Well, one's really a reboot, so there should be really not much to do on one. You're right. You're right. The, I'm I'm rerunning uh, my "And a Little Child Shall Eat Them" zombie game from year one, uh, but there are some changes to it just to keep it fresh. And uh, then I'm running uh, year six of the same game. One so. thing I enjoyed doing at Fear the Con three was I ran the same game in multiple slots, mm-hmm. and then you kind of see how different groups will you know go through it and it's usually drastically different and that's a lot both a lot of fun and it cuts down the prep time so much because you just prep one game and then you just run it it's you know and that's fun as a player to get to talk to the other players and see how they handled the same decision points you know uh at gen con several years ago i played in a vampire game Uh, actually i'm sorry it was a hunter game uh that luke meyer ran and it was very much a player versus player kind of game and, I mean, we were maybe an hour into the game, and my, my immediate response to the situation was to turn around and shoot the player character next to me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and that was James Gabrielson, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, we, we talked to the next player group, because, I mean, ours was all, you know, just who could shoot each other first kind of thing. And, you know, talk to the next player group, and it never descended into player versus player. They were all trying to work together through the whole thing. I had the same thing with the uh, Burning Wheel game once. I was a player, and the GM after it was over said that he had never seen a group not devolve into combat in that scenario before. Yeah. Well, you know, what was interesting about how the players decided to work together in the second group was that that's not – the game was designed that everybody had a secret and everybody was out for their own thing. But the other group just decided to kind of show their cards and work towards a solution, which I thought was an interesting choice. Did you you call it a pack of Nancy's? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Aaron thought it was a pussy choice. That's right. I can smell your (laughs) vagina. It's all full hands. Think kumbaya. That's right. That's yeah, right. well, I, I, I have my game all set. I'm, I'm kicking the tires today, so we'll see if it's ready to go. Well, I was uh, sitting in a, in a meeting a, a week or two ago and just started giggling in the middle of the meeting because I, I had a breakthrough on something I was working on for my zombie games. And uh, that always bodes well for you guys. So, uh, you know, good times we don't, coming. We don't necessarily like it when you have brilliant ideas. <laughs> It goes bad for us. I must. I must say, I don't like my odds because this is like year four. Uh huh. For the, like for the odds are going to catch up with me at some point here. Well, you know, you're protected by the Zagnut. Oh, you're out of Zagnuts. <gasps> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Aaron, are any of the characters from year one still alive in the year six game? Yes. Or have they all been cycled? Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Tim's accountant character is uh, original to the first game. Uh, this is Radio Shack guy. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, yeah, and that's it. So those two characters. Because uh, when did Kobe join? Kobe joined in year three. Okay. 
And we were excited to have him. <laughs> yeah, good times. At least we got yeah. rid of Gus. Yeah, that guy had to go. <laughs> <laughs> that was a game where it was like, who could kill each other first, Luke or Jonathan? That was a really good game. That's a gaming story, though. So uh, we, we got comics to talk about here. Uh, a, a big number one that came out this week that everybody was excited for except this guy. It was Guardians of the Galaxy 1. So, uh, Andrew, how'd you, how'd you like this book? Well, I, I, you know, I have to say I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's it, we enjoyed the point one, but it seems almost like the point one may slightly take place after. It, Aaron, what did you think about that with the whole Tony Stark's out in space and meets them, even though in the point one we saw them already all together? Yeah, no, I, I think that that absolutely occurs after this issue. So I don't. I, I found the point one in the context of this book a little confusing. Right, because at first I thought, well, he was already out there with them, and then he seemed surprised that, that the Guardians were out in space where he was. So it was, it was a little disconcerting there. So a little timing issue, perhaps, between yeah. their point one and their, their issue one. Uh, beyond that, though, I got to say, I enjoyed Peter Quill starting off the issue flirting and, and hitting on a Kree woman. Yeah, no, I, I, I dug the book. Uh, the, the artwork by Steve McNiven is awfully pretty. Um, now, you know, there's that scene, you know, uh, Peter Quill is the Star-Lord, which is a, a title uh, provided to him by his uh, his father's government. Uh, right. Planet, the planet of Spartax. Right. And so his father is essentially king of the galaxy. Well, part of it. <laughs> well, you know, they, they, that's how they keep referring to him. King of the galaxy. I think he's perhaps using some sarcasm when he says that, Aaron. No, no, no. <laughs> like, like, yeah, Dad, you're king of the galaxy. <laughs> no, no, that's all very genuine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so there is a meeting that occurs that we find out about in this book between, you know, uh, Star-Lord's dad and some of the other uh, – uh, empires or political powers within the galaxy, and we see a, a, a visual representation of this. You know, you've got the the uh, supreme intelligence from the Kree Empire. You've got a representative from the Brood. Um, so you've got what looks like uh, uh, oh gosh, the guy from you got, you got Gladiator from the Glad- Shiari Empire. Thank you. Yeah. And then I'm, I was I was I was stumbling on one of them, and I'm like, who is that? And I realized that it's Annihilus. You know, oh, without his helmet on. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get that either. But you know, that's a nihilist, and uh, he doesn't actually live in this galaxy. Well, (laughs) (laughs) he he lives in the negative zone. But he comes over on occasion. Well, certainly. But you know, does that give him authority at the Galactic Roundtable? Apparently, he's sitting there, Aaron. Apparently, it does. So there are two figures behind all of these that are silhouetted and humanoid. Yeah, and, and so what I'm wondering is, are those representative of another power, or are those representative of Earth or Earthlings, uh, you know, the, the subject of conversation? Yeah, I don't know. I was uh, I was assuming they were going to be another power, but when you look at that scene there, I think why Nihilus is there, it looks like it's in the negative zone, so he's just there to host and serve them tea. That You know, you could absolutely be right there, because that does look like the negative zone. You're right, that does. It's a neutral ground for all of them. Huh. It's a good point. So well, it, it could be there could be a scroll. I mean, I don't I don't see any big floppy ears on either of them, and the scrolls aren't really a major power anymore. So probably I can't, not. I can't really see the uh, the ears on the female. So so uh, top of the agenda for this meeting of galactic or transgalactic powers, as it were, 
um, was to discuss the season finale of Walking Dead coming up tomorrow night. What um, and, and and what did they think? Well, you know, uh, there was of course, you know, the 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 penultimate episode last week in which you know some a major character met their end, and I think they were all pretty busted up about that because you know. Uh, Clearly one of their favorite characters. Clearly. Clearly. But, you know, second on the agenda was, uh, you know, Earth, hands off. Nobody can go to Earth anymore. That in order for Earth to grow into the galactic member that it needs to be, it needs to stop having all of this, you know, alien presence on the planet. So Earth is now off limits. When it comes to Earth, they're like a DC creator. They're out of there. (laughs) <laughs> so so uh that's the premise of the story is that you know everybody leave earth alone brood stop uh you know stop impregnating earthlings with your with your alien spawn annihilus stop trying to take over the earth stop hanging out with the x-men gladiator and you know these spartax guys i mean they apparently went there once but but you know clearly what people like to do when they go to earth is bang a chick because, well you know Earth That's girls are what I like here. to do while I'm on Earth. <laughs> so, uh, you know, clearly the first thing you do when you find out that Earth is off limits, you head to Earth. And uh, that's where, where the fun and hijinks pick up in the story. Well, because you know, his dad shows up to tell him this, the King of Spartax, which I really want to call him the King of Sparta. But anyway, King of Spartax shows up. To tell Peter Quill, the Star-Lord, this. And, of course, there's glaring gapes in this plan, which are probably intentional. Because, obviously, by saying no one can go there, it, it puts a big bullet you know, uh, target on it for everyone who doesn't care about this collective, like the Badoon. Uh, you know, they, they aren't going to pay any heed to this. And so now they just see it as, you know, open season on Earth. And I did find it interesting that the Badoon weren't invited to the meeting. Well, I, I I hear they kind of smell, Aaron. Well, that's true. Smelly, smelly badoon. Um, so you know, all in all, I I really dug the book. I I it is an awfully pretty book. You know, this is my first Guardians of the Galaxy book besides that point one, and I think it did a good job of telling me who these characters were because mm-hmm. I had no idea the personality of any of them, and I think I've got that out of here. I uh, that one of the highlights for me was just the conversation between. Uh, Star-Lord and his dad. I love all of those uh, comments where he's like, jealous? Yes. Yeah. And his dad answers, yeah. So he'd, his dad is, based on that point one, it seems like he's the kind of guy that would rather be out there doing things. And now he's in a king role, not able to, to you know get out there and flirt with questionable women. Well, you know, one of the things that as somebody who really enjoyed the, you know, Abnett and Lanning run on Guardians of the Galaxy and, and all the cosmic books uh, you know, I was concerned that they were going to abandon that continuity. And they actually address that on the page here. And he says, you know, his father says, I get updates on you, you know. I heard you took on Thanos, something about something in the Cancerverse and all of that. And I was like, yes. So it's all still in continuity. Um, well, and, and I like how he just kind of minimizes it, though. It's like, you know, it's not this this you know universe Indian event. He's like, yeah, I heard you in this little thing out there in the verse. Yeah, good job. Yeah. Pat on the head. Heard you dragged yourself back from the dead. <laughs> Speaking I, of that, so I'm guessing Groot can be regrown just from a, yeah. a little piece of him? Yeah, yeah. and that, that is actually my only complaint about this book. So, you know, Groot uh, tackles a Badoon spaceship 
rolls into it, and the Badoon self-destruct, and it blows the ship up with Groot on it. And so you know, Rocket Raccoon goes and collects a splinter uh, from the debris so that he can grow Groot back, which is something that was a big piece of the previous Guardians of the Galaxy run. And I'm like, you know, we spent a long time with Groot being tiny and, and growing from a potted plant. Um, why do we have to do that again so soon? So that, that was something that I, I thought was a little disappointing. Well, perhaps they'll use some fertilizer, and it won't take as long this time. Well, it is springtime, so that's a good point. It's springtime, and they can get some miracle grow, and the next thing you know, you got Big Groot again. Exactly. I, I bet it won't take very long. Okay. All right. I, It'll take trust, about as long me. as it takes Hawkeye to heal. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just, you just need about six weeks. So, you know. so much rage. <laughs> so speaking of rage, you know, Sif has got that berserker rage over in Journey into Mystery. Okay, can I ask you? That, that was a beautiful transition, Aaron, but real quick. Yeah. Are, are, are you and Wayne both in for issue two? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I really okay. enjoyed it. All right, go on with your beautiful transition that I, that I ruined. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, uh-huh. talk to me about Journey into Mystery, or as I like to call it, Jim. 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 Um, well, so this is the um, – this is the homecoming for all the barbarians back to Asgard, and uh, you know we, we kind of we kind of see the the there's a there's a lot of reveals that I don't want to necessarily ruin, but the but the gist of it is is that um you know Sif was Sif wanted this berserker rage and and she was given given it you know to her by this other old Valkyrie character or whatever. And, you know, come to find out, it's like, you had that in you all along. I just, you know, I just gave you an excuse. Yeah, a license. A license, that's yeah. what it was. And it was like, nice. Yeah. I was I was real happy that that was the case, you know. Well, and it was, it was almost like, you know, because they used the word license. You know, you were looking for license. You were looking for permission. And I'm like, Sif's got a license to kill. You know, I mean, there, there was that really, really cool moment where – you know the the core of this uh, warrior was right there all along. Yeah, but now she she notices that she's missing something now. Right. And so you know the the the, the wrap up of the book is her trying to figure out you know can I have both both sides of the fence? Now you know the the last issue uh, issue six forty nine ended with her beheading her brother Heimdall up in Asgardia. Like a boss. Yeah, I mean, just, just cut. I mean, just hacking that thing right off, and you're like, "Holy crap!" Well, this issue opens up with uh, somebody driving down the interstate uh, away from uh, Broxton, Oklahoma. You know, passing the, the the little interstate sign that says Broxton, ten miles ahead, and somebody has has painted Asgardia on there as well. And the head is falling <laughs> from the sky. And I mean, hits the ground, hits the car, uh, you know, causes them to uh, to to almost roll the car on the highway. It's just this beautiful opening, and then you find out that it wasn't actually Heimdall, but some some golem that was impersonating Heimdall. The best part of that sign: Braxton, ten miles, Asgardia, and then there's an arrow pointing. Yeah, up. pointing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. Pretty awesome. I I'm really happy that um, writers are still utilizing Braxton. Yes, because uh, it 
is just it's just ridiculous when you think about it. Well, and you know there is this wonderful one of uh, of uh, Sif's entourage goes rogue in this issue and starts unleashing all of this you know dark monstrous. Uh, uh, power on the the good citizens of Broxton, which is transporting them back to the island where Sif uh, had gone when she was uh, exiled with her berserker rage. I, and, I love I love his explanation too. Which ex- just, the explanation is is that we were here to kill monsters. If there's no monsters, we don't have an existence. Right, and so we got to make monsters. Right. Yeah, and so you know the the good citizens of Broxton are being you know sent off to this island where they've got a, you know, where they could die. And, you know, they're like, don't worry, you won't die immediately. (laughs) 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 And so after Sif takes care of the bad guy, you know, they all go, you know, clearly there's this adventure that occurs where they go back and rescue the, the, the citizens of Broxton, but it cuts to after they've already brought them back and everybody in Broxton has a story to tell now. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and they're all talking on the island. Yeah, and I'm just like, that is so awesome. And you know, the 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 story takes place. You know, it's it's clearly some time later. It's winter time, uh, and Sif is having a snowball fight with the kids in Broxton, and it's just this. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful couple of pages, and it it, it read to me. I don't know if you had the same panic that I did, Tim, but when I read that last page and that last panel, it felt like the end of the series. Yeah. And I mean, I almost had this panic, like, "Oh my God, did they? Is this book over?" And fortunately, you know, you get into the uh, uh, the, the letters. letters page, and it does show that there's another issue. But are they changing focus from Sif though? I think it so. looks like they're moving to the Warriors Three. Ooh, Which, I would be okay with that too. Yeah, I am too, and and I like that Journey into Mystery has kind of become the you know uh, supporting character book for Thor. You know, and is you know, I, 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 it's giving us a lot more opportunity to see these guys. Well, it, now it's been a while since I've read Thor. I know, I know, I believe Tim's been enjoying it more since since Fraction left it and Jason Aaron came on. Is it still? Is it still good? Thor is so goddamn good. Oh now, my is, god! Is this the one that started out with the, uh, the God uh, Butcher? The, the God, god Butcher. butcher. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I got yeah. I picked up the number one on before Marvel broke the internet. I was able to get the first issue of that free, and, oh, and it's yeah. it, it's it's doing well. I'm well, making a list. Hold on. <laughs> I promised Andrew something, and I'm, I'm a big failure. Um, so yeah, the good thing you know, once you go see the God Butcher, then you go see you know the God Deli and the God Baker. You know, don't forget the God Pastry Chef. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I've enjoyed listening to guys talk about the Sif storyline, but I think I've got to get into Journey Mystery if they're going to the Warriors Three because growing up they were. I almost enjoyed the Warriors Three more than I enjoyed Thor when I was when I was a kid growing up. When they showed up in a story, it made it that much better. See, I never read Thor until Straczynski's run. I mean, I he was just a background supporting character in certain books I'd read. I'd never gotten into the character. It was really Straczynski's reboot, relaunch, whatever you want to call it. Right. That got me into the character. No, so did well, you ever? Did you read Disassembled, Wayne? Thor Disassembled. No. Highly recommend it. It is number one. It's it's a beautifully drawn story. Uh, Mike Diodato does the artwork on it, but uh, I think that's correct. I think it's Mike Diodato. Um, but it it really is a, the Ragnarok story with a, with a little bit of a twist. And there is this beautiful sequence where uh, Thor cuts uh, Loki's head off and then ties it to his belt and walks around with Loki <laughs> talking to him. I just love it. Wow. Just, it is so awesome. 
Well, it, it, I love JMS's run when he, you know, he had Broxton there, and and the the juxtaposition of the rural Midwesterners with the Asgardian gods sitting at the diner always always tickled me. Well, and there was there was a pretty funny scene in this book that that was it was one of the barbarians was was is apparently dating one of one of these people from Broxton, and they're they're wearing these matching reindeer sweaters it was just ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> oh that sounds wonderful it is it, well and did you notice the uh the snowman that's made to look like svip <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, the the journey into mystery, at least this story arc in journey into mystery, was just fantastic. So how? I, how am, yeah. Go ahead, Tim. I was just gonna say, and I really like the young Loki stuff too. Yeah. So how many issues did the Sith story arc run all told? I want to say five. I think it was five. Yeah. You know, Marvel. I really wish they'd go to the DC model of marking down their books a dollar after they've been up for a month. Yeah, I agree. But I will say, you know, I I, I subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, and ever since I subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, anything that has shown up on a Comicsology sale, right. uh, either on the Monday or the weekend sales, has all been available in Marvel Unlimited. And how much is that a month? Fifty nine. Right now, it's fifty nine dollars a year. Right, and I, th- I think that's a, a special that they have for the launch of the uh, of the uh, app. I think it's actually more than that. It may be seventy dollars a year or something on a regular basis. The story dollars for the year, but that but then it's free for that two weeks of not being able to use it that Aaron had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, Journey into Mystery, fantastic book. Looking forward to the uh, you know Warriors three, and I just got to say, uh, Catherine Eminen, uh, who wrote these Sif stories, uh, I really hope she comes back soon to this. It co- comes back soon to this character because this was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but perhaps a superior story might be Superior Spider-Man number six AU. Time- or not. Tying <laughs> the age of Ultron. What do you mean, or not, Andrew? So here's my here's here's where digital comics can be a liability, Aaron. I a lot of times, you know, I it, they come up on Wednesday. I have it on that that big shot where you have you know nine, twelve titles on the page as little thumbnails, right? And so a lot of times as I'm scrolling through there, if I see something I'm not sure about, I'll click on it, open it up, and learn more about it. But if I see a book I'm reading regularly, I'll just hit the buy button without really investigating. So as I was flipping through it, I just saw Suspiria Spider-Man. I was like, ah, great. Hit buy. So then I went to read it last night and was horribly confused, disappointed, angry, confused, <laughs> um, ragey, bloaty, uh, confused when I found out that it was this Age of Ultron tie-in. And I stopped reading it about four pages in and deleted <laughs> off my iPad and said, well, that's $4 I've completely wasted. You know, I had a similar experience this week, Andrew, but it wasn't Superior Spider-Man AU. It was me accidentally buying Uncanny Avengers. <laughs> I was just I'm so used to buying almost everything with Avengers on it that <laughs> I got it. And it was like right after. No, <laughs> damn it. No tap backs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No tap backs. So I, uh, I bought Superior Spider-Man in print copy and I knew what I was getting into. I knew it was an Age of Ultron tie on. And I have to say, I kind of with Andrew here. This is this was hugely disappointing in that it doesn't matter. This well, doesn't. I mean, I'm reading Age of Ultron. I'm enjoying Age of Ultron. 
This does not add anything to Age of Ultron. This does not add anything to Superior Spider-Man. We all know Age of Ultron is going to be retconned out by the end of it because they're not going to leave the world destroyed like this and all these characters dead. So this kind of was a pointless story in the middle of a storyline. And I hate that. And I'll say that this was the first indication I had that the Peter Parker in... Age of Ultron is the same Peter Parker that's in Superior Spider-Man, which means, which is to say that uh, uh, Doc Octopus is driving, right? You know, that he's right. the guy in control of Peter's body. Yeah. Um, now, I had just assumed that because uh, uh, the Age of Ultron book was written years um, ahead of the Superior Spider-Man book, that that would explain why there was that difference. Um, my guess is is that we're not going to see any or at least very little of Dr. Octopus in the in the core Age of Ultron book because, number one, it wasn't accounted for. And plus, they want the book to seem timeless so that it's evergreen on the shelf. But we get this to show that, yes, it is the same character. It's that same you know character in this moment in the Superior Spider-Man story as it is in the Age of Ultron story. Well, yeah, it's another- one of those frustrating things, though, where – there's no setup for it. You have to have been reading Age of Ultron to have any clue what was going on. It's just if you're only reading Superior Spider-Man, you read the last issue where they set up for the Avengers coming in and firing him. And then you're immediately into this mid-story Age of Ultron, no clue what's going on. And the next issue, we're back to the normal story. Sure. Well, I, and I think one of the things that's that's frustrating about this book is that it is so clearly predictable what's gonna what's gonna happen in the story. You know, you know that that Doctor Octopus isn't gonna follow Tony Stark's lead. You know that he is going to use his own plan. He's going to screw it up and realize at the end of it that Tony's plan would have worked where his didn't. Well, the other thing I found disappointing about this, beyond the fact that it was an Age of Ultron tie-in, and like Wayne said, no way it really sets up for it. It just kind of throws you into it, um, is that it was, wasn't was written by Dan Slott. Yeah, Christos Gage, who we yeah, actually we, like. Yeah, I don't dislike Christos Gage. It's just he tells – much like we noticed when, when Christos Gage wrote that issue, part of that you know crossover with Avengers Academy, it's just very different. It's a different character uh, when he's writing him than Dan yeah. Slott is. Yeah. And so I, again, had that experience where I was just kind of put out by it because it wasn't Dan Slott Spider-Man that I know and love. See, and that doesn't bother me at all. I, I like Christos Gage as Spider-Man. I'd love to see him have a, a Spider-Man title have more than the one title going on but my big problem with the story was that it serves no purpose well the the only purpose is to show that yes it is the doc ock spider-man that's in the middle of this it's going to be retconned if they were going to release a trade they might as well cut this out because it adds nothing to superior spider-man as a book this should have been one of those uh standalone tie-ins Superior Spider-Man, Age of Ultron, number one or something. So nobody would have bought it. Yes. So another Age of Ultron tie in this book this week was Fantastic Four, written by Matt Fraction, uh, drawn by Andre – can't pronounce his last name – Araujo? Araujo? Yeah, Araujo, I'm guessing. Andre Araujo. How about that? Anyway – this is picking up where the Fantastic Four are out there roaming the spaceways and and time stream, and they get a call. You know, I like how you can be, you know, uh, way out in outer space and somewhere else in time, and still get a phone call from the Black Panther. Hey, he explained that it's the Chronophone. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's subspace, Aaron. Come on, you watch that Star Trek <laughs> to understand this. Yes, but, but it's the time component that I find a little vexing. But regardless... Chrono, chrono phone. Time is in the name. Uh-huh, yeah. So uh, uh, it just seems unlikely. That's all I'm saying. It I just don't... seems unlikely. It seems like... It seems like we're forcing the Fantastic Four into this crossover, you know, because it was written a couple of years ago instead of, uh, you know, coming out on time. So, you know, they had to be there. So let's force them into it. So that said, despite the the kind of stretched setup to it, and the fact that once again, <laughs> the fact that once again this is a Age of Ultron book that probably is going to be retconned out. I think this one was done much better than Spider-Man was. I really enjoyed the issue, but I'm not reading Fantastic Four. I uh, I uh, am a little tired of how sentimental we're having to make some of this stuff. I mean, we just killed off Johnny, and here Johnny is writing his will again. Um, you know, we, we killed off Johnny. We brought Johnny back. We're going to kill him off again in, in the pages of this book. Um, I do think it was kind of nice to see... Reed Richards killed from the inside out <laughs> in this story. Um, but uh, I, I didn't care for it. I didn't care for really either one of these AU tie-ins. And the, only reason, I, the only reason I pick them up is because I was already reading these main books. So, um, you know, I was already reading Superior Spider-Man. I was already reading Fantastic Four, but just not a big fan of uh, what they did this week. So the only reason I picked up Superior Spider-Man was because I was already reading it. Fantastic Four I'm not reading, but apparently didn't get off of my pull list yet. So it uh, it was already in there. As I flipped through it, I was curious how they were going to tie them in with Ultron since they're not on the planet. Yeah, poorly. Poorly is how they're going to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed the sentimental part of the story. But part of it is I'm not reading Fantastic Four. So this, like I said before, it would have been better as a standalone Fantastic Four Age of Ultron tie-in. But that's all it was for me because I'm not reading Fantastic Four right now. Now, Injustice Gods Among Us. The digital comic issue number 11 came out this week, but the print copy number three, number three, combining issues seven, eight, and nine, hit the stands this week. And so uh, Wayne picked that up. So, Wayne? I Everything you guys have been saying about this book, I completely agree on. This book is so good, and it's just <sighs> a different kind of story. I mean, Superman has crossed the line and killed but it's not he hasn't crossed the line and become this massive murderer yet. I mean, at this point, he's still upset about the idea of Ares potentially being killed and he's trying to save lives. And they done went pushed him too far. You yeah. Kidnapping Ma and Pa Kent. N- never a good idea to screw with, a, a, you know, an invulnerable, all powerful man's parents. Probably yeah. not going to end well for you, especially after he's just shoved his fist through the Joker's chest. You know, he might be a little on edge. Yeah, it's, uh, like, it seems I like, like how the heroes are lining up and they're not – it makes sense to me. It's like they haven't – they're not happy that he killed Joker. They're not happy that he crossed the line, but he's Superman, and they're still lining up behind him because he's Superman. Right. Well, most of them. Yeah. So uh, there is – I think my favorite part of the story is happens in uh, the last third of that book, uh, Wayne, where um, – Wonder Woman faces off against Ares. Yes. And, you know, she, she, what she does is she tells him, she says, you know, the reason why you're threatened by all of this is, you know, we're going to eliminate war. And then what are you going to be the god of? He's going to be the god of ponies. 
<laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, I just absolutely loved how that all worked out. You know, uh, Wonder Woman, you know, throwing down on him. You know, the, the fact I, I like that this story is embracing her savage Amazon warrior princess background that, you know, this is a Wonder Woman who's all about, you know, she's all about the peace. But if you're not going to keep the peace, she's going to make the peace at the end of her sword. You yes. know, I, I mean, I just I really am digging this take on the character. And that everyone's afraid of the influence she's going to have on Superman. Exactly. That she's going to take away his restraint. I I really like this take on the characters. This It's not like some, some of these other stories where you've had the heroes go bad. It comes out of nowhere. Right. This is really the, the long turn. And I like watching these characters just slide into that because I can see it happening. I mean, it's not... It's, it's not ridiculously fast. It's very believable. Yeah. yeah. It's a well-told story to show how, how this could get him there. Because, I mean, if anything could unhinge Clark Kent's what happened to Lois and the baby. So Yeah. Well, and then Ma and Pa Kent getting uh, kidnapped. That holds off Batman from trying to do something about Superman. Because they push Batman's buttons. Right. You don't right. touch a man's parents. Right. So suddenly Batman, who was already questioning what superman was doing and may have been taking steps right now to stop superman he's sidetracked because they took clark's parents and you don't do that with batman right i loved it i loved it i think injustice gods among us is a surprisingly good good story yeah i mean considering that it's a video game lead-in comic book it's phenomenal and it's the type of we've said before it's the type of story you're only gonna be able to tell in something like this because you can't do something like this in the dc proper right Uh, i so really enjoyed the uh, DC Universe Online comic book for similar reasons. This is a hundred times better. It's much more well written. The story has better pacing. And hopefully, unlike that one, it's not going to be in the 20 issues or so. Well, you know, I I, uh, listened to an interview with Tom Taylor, the writer of the series, and apparently the end, not the, the end story, but the actual issue number in which this ends is a secret. You know, because they're 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 asking how long the series was going to go, and he's like, "Yeah, we can't talk about that just yet." So I'm I'm curious as to what what that means. Perhaps it means it's selling way better than I thought it would, and so they're looking to extend it somehow. Well, and that could be because it is a crazy good book. Yeah, it's a crazy good book. So I could see success building upon what originally might have been a much you know smaller comic book tie-in for a video game could be extended out now. Absolutely. All right. All right. So uh, speaking of a crazy good book. (laughs) Oh, so we're skipping Aquaman number 18. Hey, 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 (laughs) don't joke like that. People will think you're serious. (laughs) This issue blowfished. (laughs) (laughs) So Aquaman 18 came out. It's part of the Return of the King uh, storyline. Jeff Johns still in the book. And as long as he's on the book, he's had 18 issues of just great story in it i don't want him to leave guys i don't want him to go i understand he's leaving midway through issue 19 yeah he's all out of love you're he's not gonna leave mid issue is he i'm yeah, gonna no, be so like, lost without him tim he's yeah. like and it's like mid panel he's just out oh well you won't be alone <laughs> <laughs> well so this kind of follows up with the, the the issue 17 which shows the return of the king you know aquaman's trying to kind of 
Aragorn's in this issue? Exactly. He's yes, to, I'm in. Arthur Curry Aquaman <laughs> is trying to fit into his role as being the new king of Atlantis and deal with, with kind of the fallout of what happened with Orm and the invasion. And I got to tell you, there was nothing better in this book than when he had to go meet with Orm's sister. That was pretty cool. When yeah. when when his, when when his when his guys like yeah, Orm's sister is waiting to talk to you. It's like, <laughs> and I liked how the conversation went because so many other writers would have just had her be the angry, crying female or the bitter. Yeah. yeah bitter, and that's not what they did here. No. You know, you see the concern, but she is a loyal Atlantean. Now, is it, she, this is Tula, right? Yes, this is Tula. Isn't Tula now? Is Tula Aqua Girl in the original uh, continuity? I have no idea. I think Aquaman, she is. Aquaman existed before GF John started writing him. <laughs> there was a there was Aquaman before the New Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. Okay. Huh. I think I think Tula was the original Aqua Girl. Perhaps in, in this in this new fifty two world, she is the leader of uh, what do they call it? The Drift, which I guess is like his covert ops, uh, the Black Ops team. Yeah, yeah. Because she talks about how you know it's their job to go places and not be seen and do what needs to be done. And uh, uh, yeah, she's she's loyal. But at the end, you see one of uh, you see one of his his big guys, Merc, is trying to kind of sow some dissension and uh, convince her to go against the king's will. So yeah. I'm. If you name somebody Merc, they have to grow up into a, a person of questionable loyalties. Well, did you see his face? I mean, he just looks like he's going to betray you. <laughs> and Aaron, according to Wikipedia, you are correct. She was Aqua Girl. That's what I thought. Wow. Okay. Wow. Wikipedia can't be wrong. I only know that because she she was featured in Teen Titans for a while. So I never actually read like you know an Aqualad book or something in which Aqua Girl would have appeared. Well, I also loved how this one starts out in the middle of the Antarctic, and it's these two guys in this building, and they're like, who would have thought being here would be safer than back in Boston? (laughs) (laughs) And they're talking about the alien invasions and the tidal waves and all the horrible things that happened to the continental U.S. And and they're like, yeah, I, I guess we're in the right spot. And then horrible things happen to them. Yeah. See, you never you never comment on your safety. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's like I was like. You start talking. The game went out midway through, you know, inning eight. Well, it's because you start talking about how lucky we are, jackass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a good book. I, uh, I, I'm enjoying Aquaman. Um, I know we don't talk about it a great deal here on on the show, but it's an awfully good book. Mira is still one of my favorite supporting characters in any DC book right now. Yeah, she seems to be kind of at loose ends though, right? And I'm not sure where they're going with this whole whole thing. That her her part in this book to me was kind of pointless. Well, but she she got to meet the uh, the spunky young police officer that used to go to school with Aquaman. So what? She's gonna start you know cheating on Arthur with him? I mean, what's the I, point? I think that there was some heat between those two characters, and a shower scene is in our future. Because <laughs> you know. Last issue ended with them, you know, uh, trying to arrest her. And this issue is her in the police station, storming out of the police station, going back in the police station. I would have rather they just kind of skipped all those back and forth and just kind of got to the point. See, I mean, I kind of like it for her character. She does seem like a bit of a loose end. And I actually I kind of like that for right now, that she's a loose end that's out there waiting to be dealt with, because that's essentially what's happened with her in arthur's life she is this loose end the person he loves that she she, you know he can't be but i think we're going to see in the next story arc based on this ending that she's going to be a major part of it because 
you know, I think it's going to be her people versus the Atlanteans in the next arc would be my guess. Well, certainly the guy that came out of the ground is looking for her. So uh, I'm sure that'll bring Arthur in there. But I'm also enjoying the arm smuggling storyline that's going on, too, that that's they're kind of in the middle of. And, and you know, basically these these disreputable humans are salvaging Atlantean weapons tech and then selling it and in the process of them figuring out how it works. It's just that's just brilliant. <laughs> it liquefied the guy. <laughs> Raise <Great. the> pies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, uh, Tim. Yes, sir. Was uh, Tula, you know, uh, Aqua Girl over in Teen Titans number 18 this week? No. Oh, there was a Teen Titans number 18 this week. There was a Teen Titans night number 18. And uh, but Tula wasn't in it. Tula was not in it. She, was she on the cover? No. Did they mention her at all? No. What the fuck kind of book are you reading over there? Uh, the bad <laughs> one. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, this is a, a Requiem book, and Paul. Paul. Wait, 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 spoke, did, did did someone die? Yeah, yeah, someone died. Who? Um, was was it Cyborg? No, it was it was a, it was a Requiem for Superboy? for uh, Damian Wayne. Uh, Damian Wayne's not dead though. Yeah, I I know Andrew. <laughs> I you know and I know, but Red Robin doesn't know. That's fair. Okay. Okay. Um you know, Paul spoke really well of Red Hood and the Outlaws and you know, I remember last week flipping through it and going, you know, this looks doesn't look bad. And so I gave Teen Titans eighteen a try. And I don't know if Scott Lobdell, Lobdell has read anything that Tim Drake and Damian Wayne has been in together. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like Tim, Drake, like Tim Drake is completely in character, but Damian Wayne is just not at all. Like, the, like the because you know in his head he's seeing, he's having this conversation with Damian Wayne, and at the end Damian Wayne reaches out and hugs him. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> like Damian Wayne wouldn't hug Dick Grayson or uh, Tim Drake unless maybe he had some C4 in his hands and he was gonna plant it on his back. <laughs> that was the only way that would happen. I could see the both slapping sides on each other's back as they were doing it. If, 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 you're right. I can't see Tim hugging Damien. Those two hate each other. Well, he's he's torn up. He's he's a little torn up about the loss. And you know, I could see Damien Wayne like you know reaching out and like you know patting, holding his shoulder or something, and saying you know you know get over yourself, Drake. It's gonna be okay. You know, something like that. No, not hugging him. That was kind of rough. And so. Uh, it, it was, you know, I, I, I liked the the Tim Drake conversation of Damian Wayne. It's just at the end of it, I was like, how did the hell the hell, what? And then the rest of it was Teen Titans Fappery, and it was pretty bad. See, I could see, uh, I could see Damian Wayne telling Tim, "Hey, keep trying, keep working. Maybe someday you'll be as good as I was." Well, I, you know, yeah, or something like that. So something. There's a way to do that scene without making me think that you you don't have any clue. Um, to touch on the rest of the book, Tim Drake talks he's, talks people into going and taking on uh, what's hold on I will tell you for sure where Suicide Squad's hanging out the uh, the Bell Bell Reeve prison. Um, they they don't really get into it. Tim Drake says there's someone in there we have to break out. And so they go there and they get in this fight with uh, Suicide Squad, and it you know they're kind of getting their ass handed to them for the most part. <laughs> but in the end of it, Tim Drake was it makes a deal with Amanda Waller, and that's the end of the issue basically. 
and they're like, where's the person we had to break out? And he's like, there never was one. I'll explain later. Like, he's like Batman Jr. It's like, God damn it. What? I, yeah. I, <sighs> that seems horrible. I, the whole point was to just go fight Suicide Squad and make a deal? I think the whole point was to get in a room with Amanda Waller and have a conversation that we don't see on screen. And she's the uh, she's the director, right? She's the one who's yeah. running like the JLA and, and all that. She's the one that's running Suicide Squad. I don't know if she's running JLA. I don't read that book, but I, I think you've mentioned her name, so maybe. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, I can say this: Eddie Barrow, Eddie Barrows draws the hell out of a book. He's a really good artist, uh, but I'm just I'm not bought in, and I don't even think it's bad. I think I just just the stuff they've done with with Tim Drake is just kind of unforgivable. So, yeah, this Requiem book it gets gets a B minus. It would have got a solid B if it wasn't for the the very end of it. But what are you gonna do? Yeah, they're all gonna be so embarrassed when Damian Wayne turns out to be alive. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be like, why was why did we go through all this? He's been alive the whole time. Uh, my whole point is, if I see a Robin in costume in the next three months, somebody should get punched in the face. Yeah, and we're we're gonna see a Robin in a costume in three months. You, you think it's gonna be that one one girl? It's gonna be a girl. <laughs> I don't know which <laughs> one. Whether it's the one that people are talking about. Um, you know that has helped in the uh, in the regular Batman series, or if it's just Batman in character. I don't yeah, know. So there, were, there were two I've seen talked about. It's the one from Batman Inc. and then Harper Rose, the other one. And Either I do way, I really, don't care. I really like Harper Rose as a character, based on just the one issue I saw her in. But I don't want her to be Robin. Well, bad things I, I, happen to female Robins. I don't want there to be a Robin anytime soon either. Yes. If they're gonna kill Damian Wayne, they just need to leave that character be uh be dead and fallow if, for a while. If they want to tell angry, separated Bruce stories, then then just commit to that i would welcome tim drake coming back and being robin no i would but this is the new 52 he's never been robin well but i mean i could see where tim drake would see you know batman needs a robin i'll be that robin for him i don't know i think that's a step back for him i think that it is personal development as a human being yeah growing up and moving out of the family home that would be a step step back for him but it moves him away from Scott Lobdell, who's writing him right now. So uh, that would be a step forward for I do character. like taking one step back to take three steps forward. <laughs> Fair, Fair <laughs> and enough. I think maybe that, that you're going to see some of that, Aaron, in these Batman and Red Robin or Batman and Red Hood stories that are coming out um, uh-huh. for the Batman and Robin books. Right. That might be where we get some of that. But, yeah, I don't want to see female Robin right now. I would just It would just make me mad. What? So, what? So another another there's another comic book that that uh, I read this week, which was Five Weapons Two. And now um, you read Five Weapons One too. As well, I, did, so. I did read Five Weapons One. Okay. What so about Five Weapons Three? What? What about Five Weapons Three? Five Shut Weapons up, Three will be later. There'll be Five Weapons later. This oh. is Five that, Weapons Now. That's oh, okay. finally on Weapon Two. Uh, five that's, Weapons Now. This is the new Five Weapons. Yes. Okay. Yeah, which is the same as the old five weapons. So, anyways, <laughs> you know, um, like you said, I'm not I'm not mad about it either, Tim. It's it, but it's entertaining. It's it's kind of a slapstick. It's it's very. Uh, I think it's aimed aimed at a younger demographic. But uh, there's two words to describe this book: guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I, I read it. I, I it's not great. I'm not even sure it borders on good, but it's fun for what it is. You know. Yeah, and I, I enjoy have so all many those books like that. 
I enjoy all those creepy teachers. <laughs> like those when they're teachers sitting at, are ridiculous. When they're sitting at the staff meeting, <laughs> there's like a lady with an arrow through her head. There's a guy <laughs> with just a log across his back. His he's name, the stick teacher. It's like, come he, on. And his name's Mr. Log. Mr. Log. <laughs> That's actually his name. I swear to God, the knife teacher's name is Mr. Blade too. It's so it's so ridiculous. It, well, I like how they like they they dismiss the the Blade teacher dismisses the the kid the Shailene and and he's like, wait, I had something else. And then like sharp bladed objects poke all out of his body. He's like, nah, never mind, I'll just keep going. I'll, I'll let myself out. It, it's it's a fun story. I I I, I do like it. Um, it's goofy. It's goofy. Yeah, and so. I don't know, Andrew. This would this would be where you say this is a maybe a ninety nine cent like comic sale kind of thing. Right. I, I would not pay uh, full price for this book if I were paying for it. I, we are pr- privileged to read through a review copy, so uh, I've been keeping with real time. If if I were not getting preview copies, I'd probably look for it to be on Comicsology sale and pick it up there. Or or if or if you if you dug the reviews on it, maybe get it when it's bundled up in trade for a for a trade discount. I think that would be a good way to go too. Yeah, well, or if you have someone younger in the house, uh, like my son's not quite old enough for this yet. But if you had someone who was more in that ten to twelve year age range, they would probably think this was fine art, probably. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're reading Harry Potter, they might like this book. Yeah. So uh, and it's got a very manga feel with the uh, you know the kind of very Asian influenced. Uh, it is. Yeah. It academy is that they're at. So uh, it's fun. It's good. I, like I said, for me personally, I don't think it's worth full price, but uh, I, I'll probably keep reading it because it's, it's, it's like you said, Tim, it's a guilty pleasure. Let's talk about a book that confused the hell out of me. Yep. East of West number one came out and Paul in his infinite glory, <laughs> in his Easter bunny costume was like, let's read this together. And then I read it and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. Yeah, I don't feel so bad about not being able to get through it now because I no, tried I, to read it and I, I so could. this this it's book not, is, is like that's not it, Wayne. We'll, we'll get to it. It's it's like they took uh, eighteen different genres and some philosophy and put it in a blender and what came out they just poured onto a page. But here's the thing, uh, the the central premise. I want to know what happened, and it makes me so. And it's it, you're right. There's too there's a, too much going on for me. Yeah. But that central premise, I really want to know. Now, when we say that central premise, are you talking about the uh, the four, the three the kids, four, and, and, yes. and the missing kid, and the, yeah, yeah, the missing yeah. one? Yeah. No. Yeah, no. That that's very interesting. I'm very curious about exactly where this timeline diverged. Maybe we shouldn't be coy about. It. This is very much a uh, fiction futuristic book where uh, things in the past did not work out. America was not the United States of America. It's the seven nations of America. There, there's native in there's Native Americans who are still a very traditional tribal. There's very sci-fi factions. It, how they all coexist without killing each other? Southern I don't know. factions, industrial yeah. north. I think there's a Japanese West Coast feel. Yes. It's it, there's way too much going on to explain it all. And I think that I think that's part of what they're trying to do. It's just just ridiculous backdrop to the four central characters. Um, and I know Aaron has a different fe- a different feel than we do about this because I read a spoiler. <laughs> well, and I, I so and there's also the art part, which I really enjoy the art. I think the I art's like well art. done. Yeah, I think the art's well done. And I'm interested in the story, but it, I'm very curious to find out more about it because, like you said, they just give you so much; it's hard to know what's going on. Yeah, but Aaron, I, I, weigh in. 
And, and I absolutely agree with everything you guys said. I, you know, there's I all I have is questions at this point. Exactly. I don't really understand what's going on, but I gotta say I found the art direction on the book compelling, both from the the graphic stylization of Jonathan Hickman as well as uh, Nick Dragota's uh, artwork on the page. I, I come on, guys, this is just a stunning book, and I. Whereas a lot of times I would walk out of a first issue going, all I have is questions. What the hell? Right? I am excited about the questions I have about this book because I don't understand what's going on. But I, it's one of those, I don't get it, but I can't wait to get the second issue to help me figure it out. Well, and, and not only once, but twice in this book, you're found with either a room or hallway of just piles of bodies. Well, <laughs> just entrails dripping people hanging from from fans it's just there is a lot of gore in this book and there is this wonderful scene with the three kids <laughs> and they have killed just mounds of people and they find that they've left one alive and so it's this creepy ass scene where uh you know the guy's like you know can't you help me aren't you gonna help me get out of here and they said i don't know you know any jokes what Jokes, you know, haha, jokes. <laughs> and they give him an example. And yeah, he's like, he's like, I don't understand. And like, well, we're we're the four we're the four horsemen. And he's like, but there's only three of you. And, that, <laughs> and the and look it, on their faces. Yeah, yeah, and, and and they just stomp him to death. And and it's that 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 scene of them just the silhouette of them just stomping him to death. I I, I think that this book is awfully badass. And I, like I said, I, I hear what you guys are saying. It, it's confusing. You don't know what's going on. But I think that that the story is told in such a unique way that it doesn't irritate me. It makes me want to read the next issue. Well, and I, whether I like this book or not, it's going to very de- much depend on when we start getting those answers. If those answers are entertaining and engaging, then yes, you're right. It'll be a great book. If those answers I find to be BS and, and horrible, and then I won't be out of this book. Well, and they so. have to start giving you answers in the next issue. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's for sure. It can't be, you know, we're going to be 12 issues in still asking the same questions. Now, you know, it could it could, it could could appropriately be we answer some questions and we ask some more. Which that's I think fun. that's – yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I am intrigued. I think this was a strong first issue and, again, just a beautiful book. It's got such a, a, a visual style to it that's just unique to itself. You know, I, I'm torn because I want to know the answers, but I'm also annoyed at the 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 roll call of questions. Yeah. And so it's like I, I like the little mystery, but this is I'm just confused. Sure. It's, <laughs> More than anything. It's, so it's I don't approaching know. it's approaching too much. Yeah. It was yeah. too much for me to get into it to even finish the issue in my case. I just it never caught me. It didn't catch me until I figured out who they were. Well, it, it scratched a big itch for me. I enjoyed it rather a lot. Yeah, when I figured out who they were, like yeah. w- w- like the scene where Aaron was describing was the first scene I finally understood. The yeah. three, the four of them. I was like, okay, now I know what we're talking about. That was when I started to get bought in. It's good but stuff. yeah, those first seven pages before that, I'm like, what in the hell is going on? But, but real quick, so the Four Horsemen. I mean, it, traditionally, it's it's war, famine, uh, pestilence, and death, right? Right. But they refer to one of those kids as conquest. Well, it's probably war. I thought 
Because I think I think they identify themselves as War, Conquest, and uh, Pestilence. But maybe I misread. I might have misread who, who they were talking to when they called them War. But it could have been the same kid they called Conquest. Yeah, I'm not sure which one we're missing. Uh, Death. He, he names himself. Oh yeah, and we and we see Death in the in the flashbacks the or whatever. Well, whether it's flashbacks or present, or, I don't know. Or yeah, flash I, forward. You're oh, right. Jesus. Who knows? Who knows oh. what's going on? But we see death. <laughs> a flashpoint. Could no. be. Could be. So no. yeah, I, uh, I dug it. I dug it a lot. I'm in for number two. So I feel like I feel like because is it possible that that's going on at the same time as those kids are doing that thing that that death is off on his own? Adult death is doing his thing while it, the it, three horsemen are kids. It could be, and I, and I think part of what I found confusing is that you know the the other three horsemen of the apocalypse are traveling in a pack of three and then you've got death who in the bar scene is traveling in a pack of three that's true and so i spent some time going are these the same people you know and i don't think they are but i i found that to be a little confusing yeah, maybe the they lose one each time they reiterate and they have to find them i don't know yeah i don't know, I don't know. Crow, crow certainly doesn't look like she's pestilence which is the only female kid right uh, right. Certainly, their, their their looks are very different, so yeah. I don't think so. But yeah, it's like we said, it's a lot of questions. So you know, it's at this point in the show in which we would ask Paul what's yeah. coming out next week, and uh, when Paul's not here, I'll step up and say comics. Well, I think you know, it's uh, it's funny you should ask that because next week we've got Age of Ultron number four, uh, all yep. new X Men number ten. Yay! Indestructible Hulk number six. Tim, oh, yes. This is the first issue with the crossover with Thor. So in. With Superior Walt Simonson. Sp- yep. Superior Spider-Man number seven. Aaron Thanos Rising number one. Woo! And I'm going to give a shot to Polarity number one. It's a four issue miniseries from Boom. And the description is that uh, from the mind of Say Anything frontman Max Bendis comes Polarity, a manic depressive spin on the superhero genre. Uh-huh. So I I'm sold to give it a shot for the. I like Michael Bendis, but uh, we'll see. I think who's I'd rather cut myself. Who's doing the art? The art is Jorge Coahello. Oh, I love Jorge Coahello. Hip hip hooray! <laughs> hip hip hooray! <laughs> That's awesome, Tim. Each issue uh, comes with a free download for a new original song written and performed by Max Bendis. I'd well, be guys, more excited if it was from Jorge. I hope that uh, the Easter Polly brings y'all lots of uh, chocolate and jelly beans. If I see the Easter Polly show up at my door, I'm going for a gun. I'm just saying. <laughs> Guys, what do you think the chances are of us being able to get Polly to bring this uh, bunny suit to Fear the Con? You know, I, I think that uh, I, I, I no, I think that Paul, I think Paul wants to embrace his uh, his uh, furry. Uh, his his furry leanings, his ferocitude. Yeah, and <laughs> I think that that we're going to require that Paul wear the Easter Bunny suit uh, for at least one slot. He should play at least one <laughs> yeah, slot in the bunny suit. Well, Aaron, offer him extra Bettys if he does, and then the chicken suit for all the remaining slots. <laughs> You're saying he should he should embrace his cosplay with a fervor. Is there you go. <laughs> nice. nice. I, I really want to know if he has any other costumes sitting in that closet. You know, Actually, no, I don't. Yeah, he does. All strangely crotchless. <laughs> <laughs> His Rocket Raccoon costume, he saves for Aaron. That's right. That's our oh, no. special costume. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so disturbing. <laughs> 
I am Groot. I am Groot. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Right. Hope you guys have Bye, a good everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.